Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, before we dive into the message today, I, I want to cover a, a couple of things um, bef- that are just coming up. I'm, by the way, absolutely uh, wired lately. I've been working long hours and, and putting in all this time, and it doesn't even feel like it. I've been crazy busy, but I am absolutely in love with this series that's coming up. And I, and I want to invite you in as, as far as you would like to come into this year-long journey into the book of Revelation. Um, but I'm going to keep telling you things about it to make sure you know what to expect. Um, so these books are available. Just sign up. Um, I did an initial order. I do not want to be behind on this, so um, I'm already starting to print up. Uh, there will be, like I said, a key in here that are the, the key symbols in Revelation. So like, what is this thing? What is it? So a quick reference guide. Um, there will be a bookmark that will tell you exactly what we're covering each Sunday throughout the whole church year, so you'll know where where you need to be, you can read ahead then for, for church. You can be like, what are we going to cover this Sunday? And maybe on Friday, you're going to read a little bit. And then um, Wednesday evening, that study will go way deeper into the text. And there's, a, there's I think, two sections that we're just not going to have enough Sundays to cover. So we'll get into those on Wednesday nights as well. If you don't make that Wednesday night, um, if you can't be here, it'll be live streamed. But I do encourage you to try and be here uh, because it's not like this. A Bible study, preaching and a Bible study are very different. Um, in, in a opportunity to, to in, be in a Bible study, I want people asking questions, interjecting. Um, for those who come to the Wednesday Bible study, it'll feel more like that. So it's not preaching. So you're encouraged to be here on Wednesday evenings. It's going to be awesome. If you can't make it, live streamed and recorded. Um, and then there is a supplemental reading guide Again, this is completely optional. Uh, I pulled a bunch of things out of uh, the commentary that I'm using primarily for this whole study, and it'll give you a real deep dive into these different topics that we won't even have time to go in uh, as far as the Wednesday Bible studies go. At the end of this, as, as far as, as I'm looking at it so, for, so far, um, you will, if you would like to, again, it's up to you, Wednesday nights, supplemental reading, all the other stuff, This will be basically a course that's at like a university level study of the book of Revelation. You'll know the book of Revelation um, better than probably 90% of the Christians out there, um, if you would like. If you just want to come on Sundays and listen to preaching, that's fine. If you're worried about preaching, by the way, I don't blame you. Um, If you watch TV, you'll see a lot of people out there um, saying some weird things about the book of Revelation. If you're worried, like, I'm going to be up here preaching about how the UN and this uh, event in the Middle East are conspiring together to do this thing, that's not at all (laughs) what's going to be happening on Sundays. Um, That's a popular thing today. Um, in some Pentecostal evangelical circles, but I'm going to be a little bit blunt here. I'm going to be careful about it and try and speak in love. That's brand new stuff, um, and it's really not a a very good reading of Revelation. Um, Let me give you an example of of what it's sort of like. If I started to tell you a story about um, a war that broke out, and, and that war... Um, started when there were some disgruntled employees and citizens, um, and they were really upset. Um, they weren't making enough money. They didn't have enough. So they, they revolted. 
um, against the government that had actually supplied them with all of this stuff. The, the government that actually had um, planted them in this new area and region. And these, these people went and attacked and then destroyed a bunch of goods. Um, and then that's how the, the revolution um, went, is, is they just kept destroying government property over and over again. And then I said, it, that's called the Revolutionary War, You'd be like, well, hold, hold, hold on, <laughs> time out. There's a lot more to that story than the Boston Tea Party. You'd be correct. The book of Revelation, um, when it talks about the end times, like if you're thinking the last few years right before Jesus comes back, that's in here. It's about like 5% of it. <laughs> it's not what all of this is about at all. So, so don't worry about but all that kind of stuff and that Jesus is about to come back and Armageddon, uh, Gog and Magog are, are going to happen. Too many people have predicted that over the centuries um, and have obviously been wrong. So we're not doing that. We're doing something very different, and I think um, you're going to be profoundly blessed by it. So uh, encourage you uh, to be here. It starts, of course, on Rally Day, which is also sort of our Vision Sunday. On that Sunday, I'm going to be presenting the goals for the year, the, the results of the strategic plan, and what that plan is for like the next two to three years. Um, there's lots of stuff. We're going to be recruiting for a couple of new teams. It's a really important day to be here uh, September 11th. So with all of that said, I know that feels like a sermon already, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 9. And this text is uh, a great text, and the, and the phrase that kept coming to my mind is one that I'm sure some of you heard from your parents or you've said this to your kids. The disciples are getting a little big for their britches. Um, my dad said that to me, you know, once or twice. Um, you know exactly what that means, right? They're, they're asking a question, um, and they're getting a little bit big for their britches, and Jesus does a, an awesome job of reorienting their mindset in the kingdom. Um, he does heal the man born blind, and that's what we're talking about, is people with this destitution about their lives. Because this is the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus, would you please stand? As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work when the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, it's the last one kind of for a reason, um, because not only is it, it speaking of things that are close to my heart, I think it really speaks to a lot of people who we encounter and ourselves. Uh, Dan used an example of, of a homeless man in, in, in a place of destitution. That's exactly what we're talking about today, but not just that person but also those people who feel destitute even if they've got all that they need. Destitution is a word that, that I, I'm using for this message in a particular way. It's those people, it's, it's that sense of hopelessness, the, the, of being stuck in a situation. And, and that frustration of, I don't know how I got myself here. I don't know how to get myself out of here. I just know that I'm, I'm stuck without a, a um, clear way out, without hope of, of this changing. That, that can be a, a physical destitution. We think about this, and you've seen the pictures of when we go to the refugee camps. We see people who are destitute. They're born into it. Those refugee camps, um, some of them have been there for almost 40 years now. So there are adults walking around who were born in the refugee camp and have literally known nothing different. Um, that's destitution. So it, it can be this physical destitution, or like this man born with a handicap, um, and unable to, to do anything about it. He's just simply born this way. It can be emotional or spiritual we can all get to this place of, of having a sense of hopelessness, even with a real cheerful, happy face as we you know, pick up the kids from soccer or we go and, and get dinner ready or, or we head off to work and, man, we got a promotion and, and things are going great, but, man, my life actually still feels in this area, this component, destitute. That's what we're talking about. That's why I've been looking forward to this because we've all been there or are there in some way, destitute. There's, I'm, I'm unhappy with this. I know it's not right. I know it's wrong. I know it's, I, there's some brokenness. There's whatever it is. I just, there's, I, I don't know what to do. There's nothing to do. I've tried. There's nothing I can do. Like a blind man <laughs> is unable to heal himself and see. That's the destitution that we're talking about today. And here the, the disciples are walking along, do 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 and um, yes, we're going to get into some grammar nerd stuff today because it's been too long, and I like geeking out on that sort of a thing. But when they walk by, the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? That's an active verb right there. It's an active error. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a past tense. Who did the thing? Who, who made the wrong choice? This man or his parents, but then that he was born blind. That's, that's not a good translation. You're going to get some weird translations today from me, but that's not a good translation because, and I know Dan is looking this up, double-checking my work. <laughs> it is an heiress passive subjunctive. I know, I sound smart. Um, <laughs> that's why we go to seminary, to sound smart. It doesn't mean we're smart. Sound smart. Um, it's a weird verb tense that we do use in English. It's a future with a past tense to it. How, what, what in the world is a future with a past tense to it? 
We use it all the time. I, I say it constantly. The Minnesota Vikings would have been Super Bowl champions if Anderson doesn't pull that kick wide in the NFC championship. We would have been, meaning it happened in 1997, but they would have won, but that is in the past. See what I'm saying? It's a weird, would have been. Um, I, I would have been an NBA basketball player if I were born three feet taller <laughs> and more athletic, let's be honest. So uh, that, that's a would have been um, or might have been. They're asking a real deep philosophical question. That's what I mean by too big for their britches. They're walking around and they got a sense that this guy, Jesus, is special. Like he's amazing. Um, and they're kind of trying to pull up to this level of wisdom and knowledge. The scriptures are full in the gospel of John and all over of stories of Jesus teaching and preaching and people marveling at his wisdom and how he speaks as one with authority, not like those Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples are like shouldered up to him, right? They're like, yeah, I'm with that guy. And so they're, they're kind of feeling themselves a little bit, you know? They're, they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know? So let me ask you this awesome question, Jesus. Let me ask you this mind bender, the real stumper right here, Jesus. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he might have been born blind. Well, it, the reason it's a stumper is, and clearly the guy didn't do anything to be born blind because he was born blind. He was born that way. He didn't do anything before he was born. It's this theological, philosophical question is, did God know in advance that had this man been born with sight, he would have done this great sin? So in order to punish him, God reversed that, made him born blind, and it's almost like minority report pre-crime stuff, right? That's, that's kind of the question that's being asked. And it's even more interesting, because that is kind of an interesting idea. Does God in his um, omniscience and, and his perfect foreknowledge make decisions before we're born, blah, blah, all these kind of different things, but the more important question that Jesus comes at is a question of whose versus whose. And that's our first real grammar dork question. <laughs> whose versus whose. These are two different words, and we all mess them up at some point in time. Um, praise the Lord for Grammarly, right? Um, I, my emails have gotten so much better since uh, I bought Grammarly. Whose versus whose, it's actually not too tough to figure out. We put it up on the screen. Whose with a O-S-E, I think this is on the screen, right? Is that the next slide? No? It's okay if it's not. Um, whose is uh, possessive. W-H-O-S-E is, is possessive. That means who owns it. Whose with an apostrophe is who is or who has. So when we're talking about really here, oh, there it is, whose fault asks who owns the fault and whose fault asks who has fault. That's the question they're really asking is, <laughs> whose fault is this? But Jesus kind of divides it out in two different directions and says, well, this question is interesting because it can really be pointed in these two different directions. 
Who owns it as if as in it is entirely there? Or who has fault in this scenario and in this situation with a man that is born blind? See, the answer really is the correct question. The correct question isn't who owns the fault, who did the thing, but look at all of the factors involved in any sinful situation, anybody in a place of destitution, you're never going to be able to point to just one person or even one event and say, there it is. That is the thing. It is entirely this person's fault, my, pers- my fault, their fault, but, but I own it. It's all more complicated than that. It's extremely more complicated than that because everybody has fault. It's a great opportunity to teach that to, to little ones up here a little bit earlier, and I was hoping you were listening closely because we're all born with sin. We're all born broken. I know we all think that all babies are beautiful, and it's true to an extent, <laughs> right? Um, to their own parents, all babies are beautiful. All babies are perfect in that mindset that I love this child, but all children are also born flawed and broken. They're all born with a great dependency on mom and dad. They're, gr- they're born being in a, in a position of need, and there is something wrong with them almost all the time. They let you know, right? They scream it in your face that they're hungry, they're tired, they, they need to be changed. This is, from birth, babies are sinful, and they, they contribute to the stress of a household. So maybe, maybe we say that there's stress for young parents in a household. There are arguments or there's all of these things. Maybe they're worse with a screaming kid. Multiply that by three once, by the way. And uh, yeah, you had a picture of my house about eight years ago. Is it their fault? Well, they have fault. They're the ones screaming and yelling in the middle of the night. Is it our fault (laughs) for going down this road of embryo adoption? I mean, a little bit, for sure. Is it God's fault for for splitting two of them so that we had three instead of just the two? Who who are we going to put at fault? The answer is we all bear some. We all bear some of it. Now think for a minute. um, Let's do a fun hypothetical. If Jesus were able to... Um, articulate perfectly. And, and being God, he would be able to. And let's say John's like, I don't even know what these words are, but I'm going to write them down. And, and he says, well, here's the, the reason this man was born blind. It's got to do with the nutrition of his, of his parents, especially his mother in utero. Oh, okay. Nutrition. <laughs> I don't know what that word is. Didn't have enough of all of these other vitamins, minerals. Okay. But that's only part of it because there's also a genetic component. So then John would be like, say that again, genetic, okay? And, and the chromosomes, you're going to have to hold on for a second, chromosomes, and deletion of, okay, and proteins, well, all right. Um, so this goes back actually generations to many different people, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Okay, so a lot of people are involved in this. And then 
And then he would say, but also, you know, the reason why those things happen is because of these mutations. Mutation, all right? And he lists all of these things that that 2,000 years later, (laughs) we open up a letter and doctors and biologists and scientists go, oh, cool, look at that. (laughs) Now, Now we know why that guy was born blind. We still have to ask the question, but why? Why did the chromosome mutate or the genes? Why wasn't there enough food for the nutrition of why? So we're still not answering the question because it's the wrong question. (laughs) It's entirely the wrong question, um, and yet it's the question that we almost always find ourselves stuck on is, whose fault and where can I, I, I put blame and how much of this should I have and how much should they have and how much of it is the way that I was born. The truth is we find ourselves in these places of destitution and we might be able to say this is mostly my fault or this is partially my fault or this is a lot the, the situation I was born into. I'm genetically predisposed for X, Y, and Z. All of these things can be true, but those are also the wrong questions to be answering. They don't help us. (laughs) They don't get us anywhere other than recognizing I'm still destitute. I'm still hopeless in this situation. I'm still stuck right here. The, The reason we assign fault or look to assign fault is a sinful one. Partially, it is a sinful distraction that that the devil wants us to pursue this because like I just gave with that hyperbolic uh, uh, analogy, example of Jesus listing out all of the very real physical medical things, you you can't ever get to that spot where you go, okay, it's it's 3.8% their fault, 2.2% my genetic makeup, 1.8%. You can't ever get to the end of that and you'll miss the opportunity of the kingdom of God. And you won't look to Jesus. He wants you to ask the wrong questions. Satan wants us to chase down. Sin wants us to keep chasing down this rabbit trail. And all it does is, is make us angry at ourselves or angry at other people. And, and over time, our opinion on all of these things shift to other people. That, that does nobody any good, and it's not part of God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't walk around assigning fault and blame to people and situations and then trying to correct their behavior and then you be different and you do this and then you'll get yourself out of this situation. Literally, the refugee camps are a real-world example of people born into destitution and there is no answer to it. I mean, you you can blame the people who drove their family out of their land, but they're dead. (laughs) So what? And you can blame the people who are living in their land right now, but they weren't the ones who drove them out with the guns and the tanks. (laughs) So why would you blame them for living in a place? And and you can't solve it by driving these new people out because then they're going to go to a refugee camp. And you can't solve it by just giving them money or giving them food in in perpetuity because it's, it's not what they want. They want to go home. Like, there's no solution for it. 
That, that's a hard reality that we face. That's why I love going to these camps is you walk in and it punches you in the face. You go, yep, there is not a worldly solution for this. And that's Jesus' point. Stop asking those wrong questions. When, when you're in that place of hopelessness, don't ask, why am I here? Whose fault is this? How much of this is mine? How much of this is theirs? It doesn't matter because it's everybody's. For generations and generations, maybe if your great, great, great grandparent would have made one different decision, you wouldn't even be here. Is that better or worse? All of that's futile. It's foolish. It's silly. Drives us crazy. And Jesus instead answers to show us that destitution is an opportunity. Now, I know that sounds bad. <laughs> it sounds like never waste a good crisis. I've said those words, <laughs> and I've used that mindset um, in, in running churches and, and families before, but that's, that's not what this is. It is not. Destitution is a good thing. It's an opportunity, but... Instead, Jesus answers. I'm going to go back to, to read this version first and then give you a, a better version as well. Uh, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that again is an aorist passive subjunctive. He's answering that in the same verb sense that they asked it, but not about who sinned, that he might be born blind. Jesus is saying something very different. It is a might have been born blind. It is a might have been a revelation of God's kingdom. This man was born that he might have been from birth a revelation of the work of God. Here's, here's a better translation. Not his sin or his parents, full stop. That's the answer. But check this out. How cool is it that his being born this way might be an illustration of God's work in his kingdom? Let's look at that one more time. It, it's, Jesus says, not, not stop, wrong question. <laughs> Full stop. That's the answer. Nobody did a thing, but check this out. How cool is it that having been born this way he might be this illustration where, where we get to see what God's kingdom looks like, where blind people see, where the lame walk. Here's a picture of the kingdom of God. He, he wasn't born this way by design or by the fault of anybody or anything other than it's a sinful, broken world, and this happens and will always happen. It's futile to really dive in to look at nutrition and genetics and all of these things. Let's instead look at the work of God in the kingdom. It's futile to sit and look in, in your own hopelessness, despair and destitution and, and trying to assign fault and blame and what could I have done better and all of those things. It's futile to spend a lot of time doing that, but instead go, where can God's work be manifested in this? Where can God's kingdom be seen? And by the way, that um, translation, if you're Googling that, that is the unauthorized Pastor Luke version. Um, you're not going to 
You're not going to find that on Google, probably. Um, but that is the sense of what the text is saying. Look, God's kingdom right here at work in us. This is the beauty of the incarnation and the beauty of the kingdom of God and that Jesus died for this reason. And yes, it still happens in the world today, but he didn't, he didn't die to make this place a little bit better without blind people and, and poor people and, and people in refugee camps. He died to save you from sin so that when you die, you will be raised from the dead in a place like that. It's, it's like a little painting, a little Bob Ross painting, right? little illustration where he goes, look, this is what the kingdom, but he goes to the person, look, this is what the kingdom looks like. He sees. And it's got nothing to do with what he did or didn't do. It's got nothing to do with, with what this man did to get him there or did to get out of there. It is, it is a passive thing all the way around. The, the man just was destitute. Jesus doesn't care how you get there. If you're born into it, if it's because of a, a traumatic experience or, or, or because of decisions you've made, Jesus doesn't care how you got yourself there or if somebody else put you there or if you're just born into it. He just wants to take you out of it. He just wants to take you home to be with him. Yes, in heaven, but always the focus is after heaven, the resurrection. He doesn't want you to live a bit better, <laughs> to be a little bit more healthy, um, to have fewer arguments or conflicts with people. That's, that's way too low level. <laughs> Jesus wants to take you to paradise. And we have this, this life that we have to navigate and come through that's going to be marked with sin that we bring into it, that others bring into it, that just the circumstances dictate that this is awful and this is difficult, but we do so with our eyes, not just on the cross, but past that cross to an empty tomb where he was raised from the dead. We do it with an eye that we're getting through this thing <laughs> and he is here and yes, he does help and yes, he does give opportunities for healing but we're going towards that empty tomb and if you want to spend time considering and thinking about the destitution you're in, think about it with the lens of an opportunity. Can God take this, this horrible thing, this thing that I feel helpless in, can God use this to show the kingdom? Can God take my hopelessness um, in, in my family and then instead of it just being this hopeless, destitute thing, can God then make something beautiful out of it? Where's the opportunity? This, I keep coming back to the refugee camps. This is what we do in the refugee camp. We don't solve their, their hunger problems. It's not possible. We don't put them back in their homeland. It's not possible. We don't do any of those impossible things. We do the other impossible thing. <laughs> we bring hope. And in that destitution, they sing and praise Jesus. In the refugee camps, they love one another because Christ first loved them. In the middle of those camps, they have 
joy where, where we would have hopelessness and fear and, and just be in absolute misery. Those who have the gospel in their destitution reveal what the kingdom is like. It is a right here, right now, joy, happiness, all, all of these things, love and contentment, all these things are available right now. The sight for the blind man was available right then and there, but that dude died. Just like all of the other people in the Bible died. So it was there, it was there then. It was right there in front of the disciples and a bunch of other people who, who knew him, but then he died but he will be raised. In that moment, in that destitution, God said, here I am. Where's God saying, here I am, in your hopelessness? If all you're doing is looking for who did this, me, him, them, or whatever, if that's all you're doing, you're not listening for that voice that says, I'm right here. And, and you can show the world the, the faith that you have and the hope that you have and the joy that you have in a situation that might, to a lot of people, seem absolutely desperate, desolate, and you might seem to other people that you're in despair, and you, you might be that person who then God says, and yet here is this beautiful revelation, the manifestation that the kingdom might be revealed in you. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? I told you I was getting all torqued up about this series. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, in those places of, of absolute destitution, um, whether the world sees it or not, whether it's in our hearts and our minds and around, those around us don't know it, I give you thanks. Not that, that we can figure it out, but rather that you can be made manifest in it and that we can see a forgiveness and a healing and an opportunity to see joy and redemption in the middle of that destitution to show the world how powerful you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.